Let me invite your attention to First Chronicles chapter 4. And uh, I want you to look at a couple of other texts this morning as well, besides First Chronicles chapter uh, 4, and that is Matthew chapter 5. We'll look at that a little bit later, and then we'll look at First Timothy chapter 2 as well. And this morning, I want to address the subject of ambitious prayers. Ambitious prayers. It reminds me of the story of the bodybuilder that went uh, on a tour of uh, several nations, and he got to a couple of different continents, in fact, and um, he happened to go to a village in a remote location on the continent of Africa, and while there, he put on a demonstration, which means he flexed his muscles. I mean, he flexed everything he had, from his toes to the top of his head, uh, to impress the villagers. He got into a conversation after his demonstration with the, uh, the village chief, and the village chief said, Now, what else do you do with these muscles? He said, well, that's about it. And he went through another demonstration of flexing all of his muscles. And the chief said, what a waste. What a waste to have all that muscle and that's all you do is show them off. Uh, The truth is, is that we have an awful lot of muscle in prayer. And what a waste it would be to merely bless the food. Prayer has got to do more. Now, that's a legitimate thing to do, and we should. We sanctify our meals with the Word of God and with prayer, uh, 1 Timothy 3 will say, but um, we need to do more than that. God, in fact, wants us to accomplish great things through prayer, and Jabez is going to help us with that this morning in First uh, Chronicles chapter 4 and verse 10. Now, we're preaching this text in preparation for next Sunday when we're going to ask our members to select a day and an hour to give to prayer for others. We're going to ask you to do that and then to submit two or three him-possible requests. Not impossible, but him-possible requests where God has got to come through in order for something to happen. It may be that someone is especially recalcitrant and resistant to the good news of Christ. It may be that a prodigal needs to come home. It may be that a marriage or family needs to be restored. It may be someone needs to be liberated from addictions. It may be a variety of other things, and we want to ask you to come next Sunday with two or three impossible requests, and we're going to gather with you for 40 days as a church family and pray over those requests and ask God to come through. Now, we'd like to have every hour of the week filled with someone praying for our folks here at Beach Haven. The Moravians, in fact, back in the 17th century, uh, had a chain of prayer every hour of the day and every hour of the night, and they maintained that unbroken for 100 years. And they gave great impetus and power to the modern missionary movement on which William Carey happened to build that missionary movement. Well, that reminds me of Jabez in 1 Chronicles chapter 4 and verse 10. In the midst of this long list of names, the writer, who I believe was Ezra, ended up highlighting Jabez in his prayer life. And look what he prayed for in verse number 10 of 1 Chronicles. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, All that you would bless me indeed, and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. So God granted him his request. 
Jabez prayed ambitious prayers. And God wants your ambitious prayers. And I want to ask and answer three questions about this this morning. The first question is who? Who is calling on you to pray ambitious prayers? Whose idea is this? Who manufactured this idea? Who created the idea of ambitious prayer? Isaiah 45.11 has got to be one of the most shocking verses in the entire Bible about prayer. Some of the newer translations try to soften it by putting question marks in the text. But I think the New King James Version and uh, the Christian Standard Bible Version end up getting it right, not with question marks, but with periods. And here's what Isaiah 45.11 says. Ask of me the things concerning my sons, and concerning the work of my hands, you command me. The Lord God looks at his people and says, when it comes to how I'm working with my children, you come to me in prayer and you command me. Now we think of prayer and we think of our life with God as God commanding us and God is beckoning his people to come to him and command him with what to do. The Christian Standard Bible translates the word instruct. You instruct me what to do. You inform me what you want. I think the word command is probably some hyperbole. I think God is overstating the certainty of prayer and his receptivity to our prayers with the word command. But nevertheless, this is an ambitious thing to tell the people of God to return to God with ambitious request. God says, you come to me in prayer and you instruct me, you command me what I need to do. Isaiah 45, 11. It's there just as plain as day. Isaiah 62, verse 7 has an ambitious spirit to it. Uh, it says here, you who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent. Now earlier in the text, it says, don't keep silent with the good news. Now it is, don't keep silent in prayer. And give God, give Him no rest in your prayers. Constantly bombard heaven with request. Constantly bombard heaven with prayer. Until He establishes. Until He makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. That's a promise to Jerusalem that it would be a praise in the earth. And it has been down through the centuries. And when Jesus Christ came and when He saved us, He grafted us into Israel. That promises for us as well. He can make you a praise in the earth instead of a sorrow. He can elevate you, and Jabez will elaborate on this later, when we come to him and pray ambitious prayers. So give God no rest until God intervenes and does what only he can do. Whose idea is it then? For us to pray ambitious repairs, uh, uh, prayers. We've looked at Isaiah 45. We've looked at Isaiah 62. Jeremiah 33.3. Call unto me, and I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know, says the Lord. He calls on us to come to him and to pray to him, and his response will be, he's going to show us things that we could show us things we could never imagine, ask, or think. Jeremiah 33.3. Then Luke 11.8. Jesus tells the story of a man who had a friend come from out of town late at night, and according to the customs of Jewish hospitality, he needed to feed him. But he had no bread. He had no, he had no provisions in his home. So he goes to a neighbor's home and asks him, and the neighbor helps him. And here's how Jesus applies this. 
He says in Luke eleven eight, because of his shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as many as he needs. He's not talking about bread and merely neighbors. He's talking about how God responds to your cries for help as you come before him with shameless boldness, without any embarrassment, without modesty, without hesitation, without reservation, without concern about protocol. You come with shameless boldness to the throne with needs with your own and others like you belong by that throne because in Jesus Christ you do. That's what he says. Well, that's Luke 11, 8. Now look with me at the vision of 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Read there with me, beginning in verse 1. And just imagine the vision that is found here in this text. If this were to occur in our own day, look how large it is. Look how broad it happens to be in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He says, Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks be made for all men. Pray for all you can possibly pray for. Well, why would God ever say such a thing? Because there is opportunity to impact everyone's life for whom you pray. That's how wide and broad and expansive the vision of God is for prayer. So let these prayers, these different forms of prayer, be be made for all. And then even the upper echelons of governing authority for kings and all who are in authority. In other words, prayer can not only reach the common man, the common woman. Prayer can reach the upper echelons of government, kings and those who are in authority. Now, here's the vision. Here's what can happen because of your prayers for all and those who are in authority. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. In other words, God imagines your prayers changing a local neighborhood. God imagines your prayers changing local government. God imagines your prayers changing a federal and a state government so that we may lead a peaceable and quiet life in all godliness and reverence. That is the kind of force prayer can have. Prayer can start a movement of godliness and reverence in a community when we pray for all and those who are in authority. What a vision that happens to be. And God would not dangle this out in a teasing fashion if it were not possible. Now we come to Him and pray that way because of verse number 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave Himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. You can reach God with ambitious prayers for a local community, state community, a nation, because Jesus Christ stands between you and God. And if you have embraced the crucified Savior, you can reach God, and this God invites you to come to Him to pray ambitious prayers. You can do that. That is, in other words, the great privilege you have when you come to Jesus Christ. And so this is the vision of great and awesome prayer. And then there's James 5.16. The the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man, what? Avails much or accomplishes much. In other words, God's vision for prayer is that it would accomplish much. So who is it that invites us to pray ambitious prayers? It's none other than the God who hears our prayers. 
He wants you to come before him and pray ambitious prayers. And so our prayers are to match the character of God. So whoever God is, our prayers are to reflect that. They're not to be lesser than God. So before leaving in life, may I encourage you, in your prayer life, do more than bless the food, as important as that is. Pray ambitious prayers, because here's why. The moment you met Jesus Christ, if you have met him, the moment you met Jesus Christ, you received with Christ the right and the responsibility to make your prayers as big and as ambitious as God himself is. So when you pray ambitious prayers, you are praying prayers that can be consistent with the very character of God. And that comes with a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ. John 1.12 says, To as many as received him, gave he the right, gave he the right to become the children of God, even to those that believe on his name. When you come to Jesus Christ, you are authorized by the Almighty to rattle the throne room and get next to the throne with every need of which you are aware. It's this God calling you to do that. Almighty God. Well, there's a second question. Why? Why would I pray ambitious prayers? Well, there are at least three reasons. One, God's Son. Jesus taught us to pray ambitious prayers. Have you ever imagined just how ambitious the traditional uh, title is, uh, the Lord's Prayer happens to be? It's really the disciples' prayer. But can you imagine how ambitious that is? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, may everyone know you as a father and really be excited about it in a praiseworthy fashion. You know, a lot of people don't believe that about God. And yet, that can happen when we pray. And then he says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, whatever we're we're going to experience in the future kingdom, start sending some of that our way now. Start sending some of that our way now. And let us experience heaven on earth in an incremental fashion, a growing fashion, a burgeoning fashion, even now. Start making our lives, start making our families, start making our churches look more and more like the future kingdom so there'll be a witness here. Hey, that's audacious. God's son. But there's a second reason, and that is God's pleasure. Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Jesus assured his disciples, and he assures you, that God is really pleased to do something for you. And here's what it is. He said, fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. All the rights, the responsibilities, all the challenges, all the prestige and privilege of the kingdom. God the Father is very pleased. It's His good pleasure. It makes Him happy to give it to you. So when you're praying ambitious prayers, you're not overcoming God's reluctance. He's not reluctant. You're not trying to convince God to do something he doesn't want to do. You're talking to a very generous father who is eager to come and meet the need. That is precisely what he is willing to do. It is his good pleasure. So when you come to him and seek him with an ambitious prayer for a need, you're laying hold not of reluctance. You're laying hold not of apathy or indifference. You're laying hold of great willingness on the part of God 
who loves you so much, he's made a way for you to reach him by crucifying his only son and raising him from the dead. Listen, folks, everything's a possibility with a God like that. So his pleasure. But then there is his vision. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus said, all authority. Now listen, by the way, to the large words, especially the all words and the every words in this text. All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. What a broad, magnanimous vision God has. God places the burden of getting the good news around the globe on the shoulders of His church, and it's going to take ambitious praying to get it there. It's going to take ambitious praying. And so God's Son, God's pleasure, God's vision, that's why we need ambitious praying. But the third question is this, what? What? What am I to pray when I pray ambitious prayers? Well, Jabez is a marvelous help, and he says, I'm glad that you have asked. What do I pray when I pray an ambitious prayer? There are four things in this text in chapter 4, verse 10 of 1 Chronicles. The first thing is emphatic blessing. Emphatic blessing. Look how emphatic he is about pleading with God for blessing. Oh, that you would bless me, bless me. In the Hebrew text, the word bless is repeated. The way we translate that into English is indeed, and that's accurate. Oh, from the very depth of his soul, that you would bless me indeed. Bless me emphatically. Bless me obviously. Now, do you know what a blessing is? Have you ever thought for a moment to define the word blessing? Um, Here's what blessing is. When God blesses us, he enables us to produce more than is naturally possible. In other words, he enables us to experience life on his level. We do more for God when He blesses us than what we could naturally achieve. When we witness, there's more power there than just our mere intellect and our words. There's the power of God. When we're trying to forgive, God intervenes and helps us to forgive more than we ever could on our own. Um, Whenever we um, try to serve, there is more blessing there and we produce more than we ever could on our own. All that you would bless me indeed. Now, it's personal. He's not shy or embarrassed to pray this way. Bless me. Now, we should pray that God will bless others, of course. Indeed. But there's nothing wrong with asking God to bless you as well. All that you would bless me. And then, indeed, would you bless me in a way that's obvious? Would you bless me in a way that's emphatic? Would you do something in me? Would you bless me in such a way that I'm able to obviously produce more than I naturally can. And may it be obvious that you have blessed me, not merely that I have exercised my intellectual or my natural abilities. Instead, I want people to know, oh God, that the blessing that's come my way comes from you and is not merely manufactured by human will or intelligence, but God has intervened. That's what I'm wanting. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, look with me there. And Jesus defines blessing, the blessed life. And look at the way he does so. He starts with the condition, 
and then announces a blessing when we meet the condition. He begins in Matthew 5, verse 3, with the Beatitudes. I suppose many of you are familiar with those, but look here at verse number 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All the rights, all the responsibilities, all the privileges, all the uh, opportunities that come with the kingdom, they belong to those who declare, I am bankrupt, I am busted, I'm overdrawn spiritually before God. I need to access His account of grace. When we come to that, we get the kingdom. We get the kingdom. Well, that's more than we can naturally produce. And then he goes on in verse 4. Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall have a contradictory experience when they do. Something will pass their understanding when they do. When they mourn, they'll be comforted. When we grieve and mourn over our own sin and our own guilt and our own failures. Whenever we mourn and grieve the sin and the guilt of our world. When we mourn the conditions around us and the conditions within us, something unusual and unexpected happens that is beyond our natural ability to produce, and that is God intervenes and He comforts us. It's what He does. Well, He goes on. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And and that is something that you wouldn't expect. You wouldn't expect the meek to operate on the earth like they have inherited it. But there's power and authority there. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for unlike the vast majority of people in the earth, they will be filled. They'll be filled up. They'll be content. They'll be satisfied. In other words, they have a satisfaction and a contentment that is beyond what they can naturally produce. Look at verse number 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. God will intervene into their lives. God will act in their lives. They will see the hand of God. Not, maybe not visibly, but much more clearly than that. God will act in their lives. They'll see the hand of God in their lives. The peacemakers. Well, they'll overcome a poor reputation. They'll be called the sons of God. That's beyond their ability to produce. So Jesus is defining the blessed life there. And Jabez cries out in praise, Oh, that you would bless me indeed. And what we've read in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, obviously, is the will of God, for it fell from the lips of the Savior. Now John would pray for a man by the name of Gaius in his third epistle, right before the uh, book of Jude, which is right before the book of Revelation. It's a very short book only has one chapter, so we refer to the verses, not the chapter. But in 3 John verse 2, he prays, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things. So he commits that to prayer. So the truth is, we decide whether blessing will happen on the earth. Will God's blessing prevail or will Satan's machinations prevail? It all depends on prayer. Prayer is the determining factor. Emphatic blessing. But there's a second thing to ask God for. And that is expanded influence. Expanded influence. In verse number 10, he prays, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory. Now, that's a very earthy thing to pray for. The Israelites had the promised land divided divided up amongst their tribes, and they had that divided up amongst the heads of household. And so Jabez has some property because they've taken over the promised land. However, there's still some Canaanites there who are intense enemies of Israel, 
and sought through the centuries to kill them and to eliminate them from the earth. And so what Jabez is praying here is, Lord, is this, Lord, I've got some Canaanites on my property. Would you please move them out and expand my ownership and operation of my own property? Now, with more and more influence, with more and more control over his property, his influence increases, and he becomes someone very significant in the community. So in prayer, we ask God to increase our number and influence and overcome any obstacle in the way of us experiencing God's will in the area of our influence. Now, that amuses me. Something amuses me about that. And that is, there are actually some people that are hesitant and sometimes even opposed to praying that God will bless the church to where it grows numerically. I've never understood that, have you? I haven't. Not at all. Let me ask you a question. Would you agree with me that more people going to heaven and fewer people going to hell is preferable than more people going to hell and fewer people going to heaven? Does that make sense to you like it does me? I mean, if God is the God of love, doesn't he want more people going to heaven and fewer people going to hell? Well, then what's the problem with numeric growth? Folks, there's even a book in the Bible called Numbers. And they're counted all the way through. Their census taken of Israel and even the church in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is much like the book of Numbers where there's frequent use of numbers. Now, we need to be more concerned about people. I understand that. But uh, you know what? Those who complain about counting numbers in the church, I'll guarantee you this. They count their money. You know why? Because that's what matters to them. All right, now count the money all you want. That's great. We need to be responsible stewards. But the truth is, if God loves every person, it is important for the church of Jesus Christ to pray for and make the gospel known to all the people and increase the number of converts so they can know Jesus and serve Him. No problem with that at all. And so expanded influence. By the way, let me ask you to do this. Would you do this in your own prayer life? In your prayer life, would you ask God at the end of every one of your prayers to do something for our church? Would you do that? Would you ask God at the end of your prayer or someplace, sometime in your prayer, and Lord, bless Beach Haven and enlarge her territory. Would you do that in every prayer you pray about 50 years ago? Chuck Smith of Calvary Chapel uh, in Southern California began to pray that. And they had just one little church there. It exploded in growth. And today it's a network of 1,400 churches, some of them joining the Southern Baptist Convention and now supporting our mission work. And he credited it to that little prayer his members would pray, and Lord bless Calvary. Would you do that? Would you do that for Beach Haven? And Lord bless Beach Haven and enlarge her territory. That's perfectly in the will of God. So we pray for emphatic blessing and expanded influence. Then we pray for empowered surrender. Bless me indeed, enlarge my territory, and put your hand upon me, or that your hand would be with me. Now, what kind of expression is that? For a hand to be with you. That's not really a common phrase that we use in this day. Well, in 1 Chronicles chapter 14, verses 10 and 11, David is praying and asking God, God, what should I do with the Philistines and the land? We need to enlarge our territory. What should I do? 
And the Lord told David, go after the Philistines. And this is what he says in verse 10 and 11 of 1 Chronicles 14. The Lord said to him, go up, for I will deliver them into your hand. I will deliver them into your hand. Now, what did it mean for David to do battle with the Philistines and for the Philistines to be placed in David's hand? Well, that means the Philistines surrendered. And it means that the Philistines then were under the control of King David. That's what it means to have God's hand upon us or with us. That means we have voluntarily surrendered to Almighty God. We've decided to stop fighting Him in our lives or with an issue in our life. And so we abandon ourselves. We relinquish ourselves. We release ourselves completely to His control. We give ourselves to Him in that way. And like David, we then, knew, we then have a new power and authority. Because what God controls, God empowers when we surrender to Him, we unify with Him, and His power becomes our power that He parcels out generously and abundantly. And so it's empowered, surrendered. So in your prayer life, here's what your prayer life is. Your prayer life is a time of exchange. It's a time of exchange where you exchange your life for God's power. You give Him your life he gives you His power. And so your prayer life, your witnessing, your service is more than the knowledge and more than the talent and more than the skills that you've accumulated over the years. And as important as those are, when you relinquish yourself to God, He empowers your surrender to Him so that He intervenes and God is actually acting through you. Empowered surrender. But there's one final thing. And there is extra protection. We pray for extra protection. Now, sweet people, please listen to me. Whenever we start praying in this way, you need to be aware you get the attention of the enemy. You do. You get the attention of the enemy. Your prayer life then becomes a threat to the forces of hell. You become a public enemy of the kingdom of hell. And in fact, you need to understand, when we commit ourselves to our 24-7 prayer ministry next Sunday, and we start praying for these impossible requests, there are going to be some lives and places and circumstances and situations where all hell will break loose. Satan will break it loose and will begin to persecute people and discourage them to where they will not pray. Michael Kant put it this way in one of his books. He said, if we are who we are supposed to be, the devil will oppose us. He doesn't bother those who do not bother him. He will leave the prayerless believer alone. But when we are actively engaged with God in prayer, we become noticed in dark, devilish places. We've got to pray for one another for extra protection. Ian Bounds says, God shapes the world by prayer. So in that means, uh, here's what that means, that God has given us prayer. God has authorized all those in Jesus Christ to reach into the future and to shape the future with prayer. Now, now listen, did you hear what we said? In Jesus Christ, 
God has authorized all believers to reach into the future and to shape the future with prayer. If that were not the case, He would have limited prayer to praise, thanksgiving, and confession. But what He's done is that He's expanded it to include asking, which is the theme of Jesus' teaching on prayer. Because in prayer, you can reach into the future and you can shape the future according to the will of God. So in other words, there is nothing that lies outside the reach of prayer except that which lies outside the will of God. Otherwise, everything is a possibility. That's what we can accomplish in prayer. And you know what God's will is? Many things are God's will, but God's will is for you to experience forgiveness and new life in heaven. You are much with God. You are a big deal to God. So much so that he sent Jesus Christ to bleed in your place to suffer the penalty for your sins and my sins so that if we merely, if we merely come before God wanting him to change us, and if we will embrace the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as our only hope of being made right with God, he will come through and do it. Zechariah 13.9, he says, They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is our God. God wants you to be His, and He wants Him Himself to be yours. So come, guilty friend, with an ambitious request before God. He wants to hear you. Why don't you come and come to Him today? Stand with me quickly, please, and let me pray for you. And We're going to give you the chance to respond and say yes to Him. Father, thank You for the good news of the Word. We bless You for magnifying Jesus in our midst.